Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? You look good. You look good. Thanks, man. <laughs> What's going on, Reef Builders? We have a very special session of Reef Therapy with my very good friend, Tim Kelly, mm -hmm. in town visiting. And uh, he's been up to some really interesting stuff in the Solomon Islands. You might have seen some uh, corals pop up on unique corals. Um, despite the challenges of coronavirus and right. international shipping, they have persevered at getting some corals across. So, Tim, uh, I, I know you've kind of been in the background for a, a lot of different companies mm -hmm. in, over the last 10 to 12 years. Mm -hmm. um, tell, the, tell the viewers and the listeners a little bit about your history with the Solomon Islands. Um, okay, so I went to the Solomon Islands the first time in like 2007, I think, uh, to consult for an export business that was operating then and uh, fell in love with the place. Just yeah. loved it. And then uh, you went there in 2015. 2015, and you went there the first time and you were like, I need help, let's, and we went back together. And then in, uh, what was it, about 2018, Restock went out and saw you, and by that point, the station out there had closed down. Mm -hmm. And so I went out there, uh, you know, because of Restock, and uh, checked it out, like, like, like just saw, saw a derelict business and thought, I can, I can, I can pick this up and pick up the pieces and, and make something out of this. So that's what I did. So before we dive into kind of your more recent experiences with Solomon Island and corals and setting up an export business, mm -hmm. I really like to um, express and communicate my experiences when I see corals in the wild to people who haven't had the opportunity to see these corals in nature. What was it like for you the first time you went to the Solomon Islands, you know, you must have had some preconceptions about where corals grow and how they look. Um, what was it like when you first saw wild corals in C2? I mean, my jaw was on the bottom of the boat, you know, like it, first time I, I it was, you know, I was used to treating coral like it was a, a gemstone, like it was a precious metal and you have to like be so delicate with it and, and, and worry about it and nurture it and pet it and take care of it. And uh, then going out there and it's as far as the eye can see is coral and crystal clear water. And it's like going out and do, I mean, I, I live in LA, I live in, you know, hilly grassland area and like, it's, it's like, as far as the eye can see is coral. It was, it, it blew my mind. It, it just absolutely blew my mind. So you were telling me about this one story of this one reef that we've both been to at Fisherman's Island, mm -hmm. which is ringed with corals growing so shallow that you cannot help but step on them to get to where you're going. Correct. Tell them about that. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so it was actually my first time like touching wild coral. And I was, I was, I, when I was sent out there, uh, I was, I, I chose, I wanted to work with the divers directly. And so, you know, a couple days, dial in, go out with the divers. And uh, we bring the boat in to where we're gonna stay for the night and set up camp and, you know, just drop all of our equipment off. And as I bring the boat in, you know, I'm, I'm seeing just fields of, of uh, gorgeous monopora digitata or digitata-like branching monoporas. Thin branching Montes, every color. And, yeah, and, and I'm like, oh, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. And then my divers jump out of the water and crunch, 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 and they're dragging the boat in. And I'm like, no, no, you gotta be careful. You gotta, you, you can't do that. And they're like, Tim, like, we come here every day and you can't see where we've been. Cause yeah. it, we're, we're not hurting this. Like it, it, you, you break it and it grows. And that's just how that thicket of corals grow. So it's just like a, it's called Fisherman's Island. It's, it's not really helpful, but it's right. just kind of like a stopover. Right. And it's got like this really shallow zone that gets really hot. Like, I mean, it's gotta be 90 plus degrees in there. Mm -hmm. There's no clams, mm -hmm. there's very few acros, but for some reason the Montes, they are literally filling in this space three-dimensionally. And I'm pretty sure I still have a picture from the boat of uh, a channel going into it, mm -hmm. basically where they've just, just by using it all the time, they just, they just kind of dredge it. Mm -hmm. You think of those kind of projects usually for like big shipping containers right. or big, not sh not big seaports. Yeah. But yeah, even with your dinghy, that the, the corals will get so shallow that you just have to have a little carved up area. Right. And so yeah, I think that's one of the things that people don't understand in, 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 in certain areas, the coral abundance and the, the density of corals mm -hmm. is so high mm -hmm. that it, you cannot, you know, throw a rock without hitting a coral. 
Oh, you cannot throw anchor without hitting a coral. You cannot, you know, swim around without hitting a coral. Yeah. So that was that was yeah. super cool. Yeah. What else did you get from your your first stint in Solomon Islands? As far as coral growth diversity, I I as a as a hobbyist or as a professional in the aquarium, I think I was a professional in the aquarium business for let's say at least six years before I was out in the field and working on, on with coral. Um, I couldn't have understood how much depth comes into play as the far as the three dimensionality of coral reefs, yeah. right? We yeah. think of uh, yeah. even the biosphere as just this, this plane. Well, but I mean, when a, you're in a it, four foot deep tank is a deep tank, right? Because sure. you can't put your arm to the bottom of it. But like four feet is not a, like 45 feet, you're getting into mid range, you know, yeah. 90 feet is a deep reef. And so you're operating on just a, a, a different scale of depth. Well, okay, let's talk about Solomon Islands geographically for a bit. Sure. So Solomon Islands is northeast of uh, Australia. Yep. Um, yep. A little bit northwest of Fiji and Tuamotu. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. uh, Vanuatu. Yep. Um, is it right on the equator? Eight degrees south of the equator. Yes. Yeah. It's equatorial. Equatorial, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the corners of the Coral Triangle. So if you're not familiar mm -hmm. with the Coral Triangle, there's this loosely defined region um, that is uh, bordered by Philippines in the north, um, Solomon Islands in the southeast, mm -hmm. and Bali, Indonesia, so like the center of Indonesia in the southwest. Right. And within the Coral Triangle, you have the highest diversity of all coral reef species, especially corals. And that's where you have just, it's, it's just like where all, most, all the corals kind of like evolved and then radiated out from right. this particular place. Right. And Solomon Island is really unique because it has a northern coast mm -hmm. that's facing the Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. It has a southern coast, which is facing Australia the Coral Sea in Australia and a little bit more southern mm -hmm. uh, uh, area. And then the, the, the far western provinces are really in the heart of what would be called like the Indo-Pacific. So. Right. There's a huge range of corals to be found there. Um, what are some of the standout corals that you encountered when you were there? We'll, we'll drill a little bit more into the habitats, but what are just some of the things that you just, mm, you think Solomon Islands, you think this coral? I mean, acropora diversity, bar none, is fantastic acropora diversity. Um, the open, like, like open, open, clear ocean, you know, clothrotas and hyacinthus and, and, and gorgeous tabling acros, and then we get into like lagoons. Um, yeah, hub hub of acropora diversity that I've ever seen. Um, the chalice corals are yep. mind-bogglingly gorgeous and dense. Um, One thing that's super cool about Solomon Islands is because it's a ton of different islands, you have areas that are like, you know, nearshore habitats. Mm -hmm where you're gonna find a little bit more turbid stuff, mm -hmm. turbid uh, regions, turbid mm -hmm. water, mm -hmm. um, calm water, packed with chalice corals. You're gonna find some of that intermediate zone that's gonna have a, a wide range of kind of, uh, you know, real diverse, not oceanic acros, but some of the midshore acros, uh, you know, kind, not quite like the naked deep water that we're used to, right. but getting there and then you go a little bit further and you're like full oceanic conditions right. with staghorns, huge tables, mm -hmm. big milliporas. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a, a literal buffet right. of all corals in the right. world, basically. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it really just, uh, I, I feel like up until this point, Solomon Collection has, has been so limited as far as like only a few areas were, were even negotiated to be collected from. Yep. And now that now that we've got, you know, a new start in it, the ability to like go to a village and, and, and open up new regions that have never been collected from is, is, is immense. I realistically think only about 5% of the country has actually been explored for, for coral collection, coral diversity. Yeah, so um, one of the things that's interesting about the Solomon Islands is that this is the first place that ocean-grown, ocean-farmed corals ever took place. I mean, that's even, I would say they were fragging corals before we were fragging corals in aquariums, mm -hmm. right? Morale yeah. Sound on the east end of Guadalcanal, um, Bob Mankin, Solomon Island Coral Farms. Mm -hmm. um, if you hit the archive button or go to archive, the you know, internet time machine, you can find that, that, that really old website that featured some of those stuff. But that's the first place that the hobby really enjoyed farmed millies, aquapora millies, 
tortuosas, um, right. all your all right. your fancy encrusting uh, monoporas like uh, Superman, Pokestar, right. Rainbow, Sunset. They have been discovered to some degree in other places. I mean, every time I'm in Solomon Islands, you see rainbow. You're like, right. oh, wow, it was a big old rainbow. Right. Or sunset, last time we were there. Poker star, right. sunset. Right. And uh, God, I meant when I went to Simon's Reef, I remember seeing this, this, this rainbow monte. I mean, no joke. I don't know if you'd even call it a colony. It was a giant boulder this big that was entirely crusted from the top to the bottom to the sides, solid blue. I see. Bright red polyps, just really mind blowing. I see poker star every time I get in the water. Every time I get in the water, I see Suns, uh, Poker Star or, or Superman monopore. Every time I get in the water. Yeah. So you know, so yeah, it's 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 so interesting that there's been multiple generations of of hobbyists. I call a, a reef aquarium generation about five years. Sure. You know, which is probably sure. a little bit more because some people will come in two or three years, but five years is a good generation. And with subsequent generations, they just forget about where the corals came from. The eco-regions. Yeah, just where they really yeah. came from. So uh, our first classic corals, Purple Monster, mm -hmm. Purple Monster, mm -hmm. um, Oregon Tort, mm -hmm. California Tort, Miyagi Tort, Immortal Tort. I mean, when you go diving in Southern Islands, tortuous is everywhere. Oh, yeah. 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 On, on the right reefs, you know, near coastal Guadalcanal. Yeah. You know, but, but uh, yeah, on, on the outer islands and, and, and clear water, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fields of it, thickets. I would, yeah. I would use the word thickets of it. So what's what, so let's let's talk about a, a coral that a lot of people know, Aquapora millipora. Yeah. And if you talk to Vincent Chalias, you know, who's mm -hmm. just one of the pioneers of intense coral farming in Indonesia, yep. he will tell you that this is basically not even an aquapora anymore. It is a totally different animal. The coralites are real close together. The, the polyps are super shaggy. It's got a very distinctive growth form. And Solomon Islands is the land of millies. It is. I think the comparison would be like a, it's a thoroughbred horse uh, among, among horses, right? It's That's a really it's great like analogy. High energy, hungry, shallow, you know, it, it wants everything. It wants as much as you can give it and more. Lots of flow, lots yeah. of light, lots of food, yeah. right? All those polyps are there for a reason. And, you know, it's really interesting, you know, the hobby has become a little bit more commoditized where they're only shipping out things that they know people want. Mm -hmm. And so lots of torch corals, lots of tenuous, mm -hmm. and then like five to 10% something else. Right. But man, we have not even begun to scratch the surface of the diversity of aquapora millipora. We were talking just mm -hmm. recently about a pink millipora. Right. Describe the spectrum of just a pink millipora. Uh, I mean, you go from shades of like, light pinks into into like reds, right? Like I was able to source that on, on our last shipment, a really gorgeous red. And then you have tip color. So you go into like yellows in the tips or even blues in the tips. And then you have polyp color, you, you know, tan polyps, pink polyps into green polyps and any combination therein, right? So like you can have a, a pink based coral with blue growth margins a yellow axial coralite and green polyps all the way down. I mean, four colors out of one coral. Yeah, and that's if if we collected ten milliporas, ten pink milliporas, mm -hmm. there would be a few duplicates. But I'd say there'd be like six or seven versions of what you would just describe as a pink, pink millipora, aquapora right. millipora. Right. right? You have the pastel pink, you have the neon pink, you'd have the dean pink, you have the dark pink, and then you have the mm -hmm. like the almost red, mm -hmm. and then the, the the tips, the growth tips, they can be yellow, they can be green. They can be blue. They can be purple margin with the blue tip. Mm -hmm. it just it's just the way that the Acropora millipora mixes and matches all the different colors will just blow your mind. Even when we're out there, mm -hmm. certain reefs, um, not even reef, right, but just like a shallow zone, like a kind of a hard bottom, 80% might be millipora and everyone you look at is gonna be slightly different. Right. It's really, right. really astounding. Right. And so that's that's a lot of what you've been bringing in so far. Correct. It's funny, it's like literally the low-hanging fruit that's because the word, they're yeah, shallow water that's corals. That's the frame I use, yeah. And it's just, it's just the reality of me being out of the country. I mean, it's, it's you know, 2021 pandemic year where, where I'm out of the country and, and, and we have to like remotely run what we're collecting. And, and this is what we can collect from Guadalcanal. It's, that's near shore stuff. So yeah. I want to get back to talking about the coral diversity of the Solomon Islands, mm -hmm. but um, just give us like a, a, an overview of what it was like to travel to to move to a, a developing nation 
and trying to start a business from scratch, right? It's hard enough to start a business in a first world country like America, countries in Europe or Asia, mm-hmm. um, but a place with a lot less infrastructure is a whole different league of challenge. Oh yeah. Um, any of the, any of the like business, anyone in the business community in the Solomon Islands would say you have to have a really good sense of humor and an unbelievably healthy sense of patience because if you don't, it's just not going to work, right? Like no one teaches you how to start a business or where to start or how to get a bank account or how to navigate your visa or how to, you know, do any, it's, it's all done on your own. Um, and it's, it's one of the like, it's what makes the place the Wild West, it sort is, of. It, it, it's a double-edged sword because it makes it fun, but it also makes it really hard. Yeah, I, I, you know, the first time I was there was was 2007, and I fell in love with the place. And I knew then that this is what I want to do. This this is where I wanted to take my career. And if I didn't have that kind of a like end goal to make it work and and was willing to give up, then it it, it, it simply wouldn't have happened. Like the in, inability to give up on it, like. Yeah, that's. I, th- I think that's. That's why it worked. If, if, well, so just to put it in perspective, you know, the first time I went there was uh, 2015, mm-hmm. and there was, there was, practically speaking, there was no internet. There was internet, but just trying to access stuff and download a page, impossible. Last time I went, 2019, mm-hmm. you know, kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, halfway through your setup process, mm-hmm. they had gotten a bunch of used 3G cell phone towers, right. and I could finally like just right. be in contact with stuff, you know, within reason around the cities and mm-hmm. stuff. The city, mm-hmm. there's really only one city, yeah, in in uh, uh, in uh, Haniara, city Haniara. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once they had the, the 3G cell phone towers, all of a sudden I could really access, you know, the modern world. But that was 2019, so when I went 2015 it was really hard because like you're in a place and you need to find things. Mm-hmm. You can't just go online and look it up. Right. You have to call somebody and hope somebody's on the other line. It's a landline and there's no answering machine. And then if there is, they're not going to call you back. So it's right. just, it's a monumental challenge. All right. So, you know, most, most people will probably be familiar with, uh, you know, an American or European mm-hmm. style facility. Let's talk about your facility. Sure. Right? And in America, whatever, you get a bunch of tanks, you get some equipment, you make your water, you mix your seawater, you plug it in, mm-hmm. and you're off to the races. But that's not how you do it when you're doing a coral export business. Right. In, in a country with the challenges of the Solomon Islands. Uh, you know, electricity is four times as expensive as where I live in Los Angeles. So. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to have a facility that's not close to shore. I needed to be able to take seawater, pump it through, and and so that became, you know, the challenge was just getting access to coastal land, um, which is pretty challenging to get in in a country like the Solomon Islands, where, um, you know, logging exports and being able to load onto a boat makes that real estate really, really key, Um, or finding real estate in a country that has no real estate agents. Right. So, you know, it was, it was, that was the first major challenge was just securing a place to do business at a reasonable rate. You have to um, talk to somebody who knows a guy who knows a guy oh, yeah. who knows a guy. And there were lots That's of the classified there, right? It's yeah. like the grapevine, the yeah. literal human grapevine. You have to talk to people to get to, and, you know, the resources that you need. And the, the, those, I know guys lead to a lot of dead end alleys and like people who want to charge, you know, Ferrari rates for junkyard properties. Yeah. So I remember um, I was out there and you had sketched out uh, a fiberglass tank uh, to be built, you know, a commercial trough. And you gave them dimensions for uh, an aquarium that was, what was it, eight feet by Correct. two feet yep. by two feet? Uh, eight foot long, four foot wide, two foot deep. Okay. Correct. And, uh, and I was with you yeah. when we went to go look at it. And then what happened? Well, it was eight feet long and four feet wide, but it was two meters tall. Uh, and this is just a, it's a, it's a byproduct of a country that uses the imperial system and the metric system imperfectly, but they use it interchangeably and it, it leads to fun, fun. We were, we were absolutely gobsmacked that the builder decided halfway through to go from imperial to metric, but you were able to salvage the tank. Oh yeah. 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 You just cut two thirds of it off and you use the bottom half of it, bottom third of it. Yeah. So it's like, man, it's so fun and, and challenging and frustrating mm-hmm. and heartbreaking at times mm-hmm. because 
at times you're really DIYing and you know you're stimulated and you're doing cool stuff and other times you're just coming up across a wall but I think you're kind of blending the two between like commercial gear and aquarium gear Hobbyist level gear yeah because yeah. um, yeah. you know I brought you a couple of Nero's yep to use it for water flow because yep. Yep. it was you know, Bluetooth controllable, just like local access. You didn't need internet. You could just right. come to troll it locally. Right. And how are you using those? So I, I took a page out of Jake's, you know, flow can idea, right? Using a, using, making a gyre out of the system. So by having a fin in the middle of the, of the you know, raceway of the table, um, two Nero's was able to move 400 gallons with the water for 60 watts of power yeah. easily. And that's, again, in a country where power is really, I think it's the most expensive power in the world. Yeah. I, I do believe Solomon's is the Papua most. New Guinea's pretty high too. Yeah. It's all, it's all generated by gas-fired power plants and they don't have any of those natural resources. Right. So, you know, you, you can just picture it. You can just picture it in your mind when all this critical infrastructure is missing and you need a little piece. It's just, it's astronomical. I've, I've always seen those constraints as, you know, opportunities to innovate. It makes, it makes, it makes the, the, I thrive in that. Like, like, okay, we, we have to set up a facility. We have to have clean ocean water, but we don't have electricity. And for the first two years I built that facility, we didn't, we didn't have the electricity in the first place. So we'd have to spark up a generator when we were going to run the tanks and, and, and make it work. Um, but yeah, so we used the near pumps and they worked fantastically. Yeah. Yeah. And so what is your plan? to, I guess, keep the water clean. And what's, what's incredibly impressive is how much you've been able to achieve since being gone, Yeah. right? Because before you left, yeah. you, got a, you had a, got a couple test shipments. Mm -hmm. And then since you've been back, it's been like a year and a half mm -hmm. now, They're, since COVID really locked down. Yeah, 18 months. Yeah. And so a, a, a lot of progress has been made in your absence. Mm -hmm. So how do they manage the tanks when they get corals now? Well, so I, I have to say this, like I really lucked out with a group of incredibly talented guys out there. You know, the guys know corals, they know the export process. So I'm completely fortunate in that aspect. But since I've been back, um, they, they were able to finalize getting electricity set up and, uh, you know, uh, they know the process of like going, getting seawater, filling up the tanks, going in, collecting coral. Like the operation, I think, I don't want to get in the weeds of like the nitty gritty of setting yeah, up. Yeah. But, but, the, the the groundwork for the business was set up and they've really like delivered home runs since they're literally as we're talking right now they're packing an order right yeah now. so he showed me a picture right before we sit, sat down mm -hmm. to start recording and um but what's, what's interesting is these tanks are not being run like aquariums right they're like really short-term holding tanks right. and right now it's just fill and flush fill and correct. flush correct and you know two to three times a day and right. for a couple days before shipping mm -hmm. and the corals are gone then the tanks are empty and they clean them yeah we we definitely need to get it to where we have open water you know we have we have manifold and multiple you know i think i have space for 10 raceways like i described but we're just not there yet we're a, we're a baby business and you have to you got to crawl before you can walk and you got to walk before you can run and so you know we will get there absolutely one thing that i love about this right now is this is the first time in modern reef aquarium history that reefers have been able to follow along with the journey. I've been writing about Solomon Island corals. I highly suggest you, check, you just do a basic search for Solomon Island on reef builders and that is going to give you just hours and hours of content and information on all the links in the description. Uh, no, not quite, <laughs> not quite. But you know, you can go to reef builders, search Solomon Island corals or just Solomon Islands and you're going to see just you know, a small book's worth of describing mm -hmm. these experiences mm -hmm. of going to um, Central Province, going to Sandfly, right. going to Dala Village, uh, right. collecting around Haniara, and the corals that we encountered there. So like we started um, this conversation with, um, Solomon Islands is part of the Coral Triangle, so every coral can be found there, right? Correct. Yeah. Tons of Millipora, I think we, we you know, smothered that pretty yep. well, yep. but there's a, there's certain corals that when I think of Solomon Island corals, they pop to mind. Um, sure. Purple Monster, we, yep. we had an interesting uh, ex excursion yeah. to go find it. I mean, it, it was its own mini expedition to find that. Yeah. Was, that I, I love that story. I love that story. Yeah. Um, Astralogyra, if you're not mm -hmm. familiar with Astralogyra, mm -hmm. it's basically like a branching moon coral. Not crazy colors, but incredibly fun details. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, very recently, you guys scored an amazing colony of Acropora multiacuta, yep. which is uh, not very well known because we've called it the unicorn acro because right. it's one of those corals that's like super impossible to find. Um, I've seen pictures in books, Vincent has seen pictures in books, and you guys finally found one. Mm -hmm. How beautiful was it? It was amazing. It was, you know, a tan colored coral with pink growth margins. It was an absolutely gorgeous piece, about this size colony. Collected. Yeah. yeah. So if you're familiar with like uh, deep water acros from Bali, this thing was smooth skinned, mm -hmm. a little bit blunt tipped, um, very long exaggerated corallites, but it grows in really shallow water. Right. It was snorkeling depth. Snorkeling yeah. depth. Yeah. Very, very crazy. So what are some of the other corals that you're bringing in? I know, I know like the, the, the prime time is Acropora millipora. Right. Because there's so many of them and there's so much diversity and I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to forget the plug. So where can people find these corals? Uh, unique corals. Okay. So unique corals were, um, you know, were the, uh, any retail customer, anybody anywhere in the United States, uh, I can get them through there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, go to uniquecorals.com. I think that's a place, the direct source for the unique coral Solomon Sol Island corals, yeah. colonies. Mm -hmm. And they're not just selling frags, they're also selling colonies, right. which is super, super nice. There's, um, there's been some... Um, you know, a couple of vendors have picked up some really gorgeous pieces, like Cali Kid got the, the 5K Millie yeah. about three weeks back, and that's a that was an absolute, everyone in the facility, I think their jaw hit the floor when that piece came in. I mean, it was stunning coral. Um, and that was, you know, again, my guys in the songs were able to collect that. All right, so we've kind of covered and smothered the Acropora milliporas. This, you know, everybody's really paying attention to the tenuous, but I think Solomon Islands is going to put millipora on the map in a way that we have not seen in like 20 years. They come yeah. from a lot of places, yeah. but what else are some of the exciting corals that, that you guys are starting to bring in? What did you used to collect back in the day? Back in the day, we were targeting more like um, Symphelias. We were, we were collecting, you know, just like bright green hypnophoras, we're collecting, um, you know, monopora species, yeah, kind of like every every monopora you can think of collects, I mean, something like 430 species of coral come out of the Solomon Islands. Yep. So you name it, it occurs there. Um, One thing that I always remember is cinerinas. Colorful cinerinas. Yep. Like you, you're probably familiar with the browns. Right. You're probably familiar with the pinks, but I remember seeing some yellows. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing some oranges that were just pink with a metallic green center. I mean, every yeah. kind of anywhere that you have a diversity or an abundance in one particular coral species, you're going to have more diversity of that coral species, right? That's why we keep hammering home the Acropora millipores, right? But the cinerinas, right? All Synthelias, over the place. The, you know, bright pink cinerinas, or I'm sorry, symphelias with like yellow splatters on them and green in the mouth region, like like in the oral disc. They're just gorgeous symphelia. Um, gonoporas, every color of gonopora I can think of. I mean, the flower pots are really hot right now mm -hmm. and, and people are finding like 20 colors in one species. Mm -hmm. Not one's coral, mm -hmm. but like one species. I'll just, you can tell it's coming from the same place and there's like a bluish one, a greenish one, a pinkish one, a reddish right. one, and then all kinds of undertones. Right. And I know you're working up to there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and like lots of acanthophilias, crazy oh, yeah. rainbow specimens. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I can't feel the, uh, a lot of like echinata near shore, again, again, on Guadalcanal, the near shore echinatas and, and just like gorgeous purples and oranges and you know, splatter colors that are mm. stunning. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, so Scolemia vitiensis, whatever you call it, and Australomusa is a coral that's a little bit more Pacific than it is um, Indo-Pacific, right. unless you get all the way up to Borneo. Um, we collected some crazy pieces back in the day, the, what I call the magic musas. Oh, man. That thing looked fake, man. It looks like a brown Australomusa that somebody photoshopped. That's a coral that... When, it, when someone asks me, like, oh, you know, you collect high-end coral in Solomon's, and I pull up that photo, and any non-coral people, anybody who's, you know, is just like, that's a thing? That's a living it, thing? I remember when we got it, when we collected it, we're like, a what? Yeah. A what? Yeah. How is this even real? Yeah. And, you know, we definitely have the benefit today of enjoying these corals uh, under our ridiculously flattering LED lighting, True. right? Back in the day, you know, 20 years ago, we're talking back in the day, we're not talking about five years, we're talking about 20 years ago. You yeah. know, it's white metal halides, maybe VHO, like maybe. bluish metal halides, a little bit of VHO, yeah. 
But now with the benefit of LED lighting, we're just seeing a, a whole new dimension to all the corals that are uh, available from there. And um, let's talk about the Chalice Coral Reef that we both discovered. Yeah. All right, so Chalice Coral Reef, I remember when it, when it was first sent there, the locals were like, you gotta watch out for crocodiles there. <laughs> like, we don't like to dive there because crocodiles. And that proved to not be. Very turbid water. <laughs> yeah. It's the spot that we went to. Yeah. It's two islands that are together, like so close, it feels like a saltwater river. They're, they're, they're like made it up islands, and topographically, it looks like a river. It, it, when you're there, you pretty much feel like you're in a river. Mm -hmm. There's rainforest to the left, rainforest to the right, yep. and the water's incredibly turbid. So we had glow lights, not mm -hmm. glow sticks, but it looks the same. It's battery powered, just a little glowy thingy, because beyond about 10 feet, you can't see nothing. You lose each other. You yep. can't see nothing. And the glow, yep. glow lights were only good for about 15 to 20 feet, just so we didn't lose our partner. Mm -hmm. But we came really familiar with that particular reef. Yep. One section of it is like a big bowl yep. with a you know gradual drop-off um, from the shallows to the yep. depth. Um, but man, I'll tell you what, I've always said this, I've always said this, bad diving makes for incredible corals. Just like all the weird stuff that you may have seen in books, but you've never seen in person. I have a bunch of corals here that were collected there. The Palaustrea came from there. Uh, the branching Econopora came from there. But that place was just dominated with chalice-shaped corals, right? So chalice corals, you typically think Oxypora, mm -hmm. Econophilia, and Mycetium. Mm -hmm. To a lesser degree, Econopora. But everything there was chalice-shaped. I guess because so turbid, they need to catch the light, and then you have this right. food raining down, and they the want to catch it. Yeah. And so, like yeah. all different species of Leptoceras, cupping. I, all different species of Astriopora, cupping right. and streaking. Swirling. Yeah, yeah, super that, cool place. That reef would be a unphotogenic and very interesting if you were to like equate it to people. You know, it was. It's not. It's not a storybook reef. No, but the corals there are remarkable. Yeah, that was that was an incredible spot, and um, it, it it started off Anacropora, and then as we got deeper, it became Chalice dominant, and you know, but it wasn't an Acropora dominant. Three to five feet on this reef is equivalent to being about sixty feet yeah. deep on a clean yeah. oceanic reef. And you had the freshwater lens on the top, and, and, and yeah. when, as the tide is coming in, yeah. if you're snorkeling to the top, you could totally see this lens across your mask mm -hmm. of fresh water. Yeah. It was super crazy. Yeah. But we found some of the craziest chalice corals there oh, yeah. that I know are still yeah. in the trade. I mean, yeah. we're talking about I, not normal chalice corals either. Mm -mm. No, multicolor reds, like red and gold, gold growth margin, red eyes or orange eyes, on a red based coral, green splatters on it. Um, the alien eye was the alien eye was common. Yeah, that, that was, was a common. That was the baseline, right? Yeah. A brown chalice coral with green mouths yep. and green growth and green growth edges. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like your baseline nice coral. Right. Then you had your reds with yellow mouths and a yellow rim. Yep. Then there was rainbows, everything in between. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I still remember, man, like twenty-three feet. Twenty-three that was the sweet feet. Spot. Yeah, we could find them a little shallower. We could find them a little deeper. But if you just stuck to twenty-three feet, you'd find them clustered. It was so. It was like seeing the deep water reef just totally compressed. Oh yeah, it was really, really there interesting. Was, I mean, the it's not a. It's it's never going to be a, a a photograph storied coral. But that that leather coral mm -hmm. with the with the the stony yep base to it. I hadn't seen that. Well, we did see that actually on the same island chain, but I haven't seen that on Guadalcanal. And that was... I, I've seen a lot more. So what he's talking about is a coral that I call the Joshua Tree soft coral. And so this is actually well documented by scientists. I believe it's a Sinularia polydactyla. Right. And if you go back 15 years, almost 20 years, there was the pulsing soft coral. Because if you look real closely, you can see the, the polyps just kind of twitch. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's nothing like a zinnia, but they just kind of twitch. But then if you look closely, in certain habitats, but particularly this one, these soft corals were growing on giant pillars. Mast spicules. The pillars is their base. It's called spiculite. Mm -hmm. It's a type of mineral. So um, soft corals have sclerites. Sponges have spicules. I believe that's right. But the, there's a specific name for the type of biomineralization that occurs under this coral. Mm -hmm. It's just like a Joshua tree, right? Imagine like a it's weird kind of dead, uh, not not living, not fully living mm -hmm. base or branch. And on top you have a happy little healthy coral. It's like it's like straight out of Dr. Seuss. These are 
you know, these were six inch diameter trunks with, yeah. a, with a huge, you know, multi-colony, colony, but like multiple main branches of this leather, this weeping yep. kind of leather coral. They were, they were really cool. They were interesting is what I would describe. Very cool. Yeah, the coral itself is not something to write home about, but when you see the entire assemblage, you see this, you know, this nice, you know, average large sinularia mm -hmm. on top of this weird cactus, you know, growth form, and it might have like more living tips at the top, but then you have all kinds of, of creatures and animals living, right. and other corals, right. living on this stony coral trunk. I'm right. really glad you brought that right. up. Right, yeah, yeah. So other than that reef, um, you know, giant heads of galaxial. The, the thing you have to like draw from that is that entire reef had a three inch thick mulm yeah. layer over everything. And all the corals had to grow through that. So all the cinerinas had a really fine, like vase-like base that they grew up into. Mm -hmm. And there was these, you know, pink cinerinas with metallic green centers. And you know, the, 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 Metallic's a bad word, but like the glowing green cinerinas yep. Yep. were common on that reef. You know, like a bright green cinerina was common. We were looking at pinks and pinks Any and reef centers. slope that I'm diving, I'm always so curious. Just, I need to find the end of the rainbow, right? I need to see what's down at the bottom. And over there, it was getting a little scary because at 50, 55 feet, it was quite dark. Yeah. And yeah. it ended abruptly. And the last coral oh of God. the reef, basically at the bottom of the reef, almost always cinerina. Mm -hmm. And then if you swim out a little bit into this thick detrital mulm that was on the rest of the ground, it's not up in the water, mm -hmm. just this one particular coral, um, what was it, uh, Leptoceris gardneri? Yep. And these weird yep. semi-plating, semi-branching Leptoceris making beautiful colonies out of the muck. Yeah. Just coming out of the muck. Yeah. And, and somehow passing that muck through. So you got to figure that that reef was... You had, the, you had the infill of, of the high tide mark, mm -hmm. and it would flood the mangrove areas and then with the low tide, it would just pull muck down yeah. every, you know, every six hours. You could just, you could just see the detritus like raining on there. That's probably one of the most well-fed reef habitats mm -hmm. I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, there's all kinds of corals, right? From the near shore to the chalice coral reef to the offshore. So, you know, man, that's the thing that's beautiful about the Solomon Islands is near shore is kind of typical reef. But between islands, you can find these really rainforesty reef. Yeah. And then just a short drive away, you have these open oceanic reefs where you see what I call classic, or what I call, what I call Pacific tenuous. The first okay. tenuous that we ever got in the trade, neon yellow with bright blue yep. axial coralites. Yep. Right? And yep. the polyps were, you know, crazy colors. Yep. Before, you know, the, the crazy rainbow, rainbow stuff. But I'm sure yeah. they're out there. Yeah in the right areas. Yeah. Um, those are the reefs that I think of where on the crest you've got, you know, pink and blue and, and fluorescent green tables, you know, hyacinthus and clathrata tables on the surface. And that, that defines, to me, that defines the clear water, open ocean, you know, not quite emergent reef. Yeah. I would see in that environment. Yeah. And so every ecoregion you go to, you're gonna find some corals that are locally abundant. So besides the purple monster that we rediscovered, right? Um, there's lots of other monster type acros. Mm -hmm. What did we just, did we decide that was Cofidactyla? Longicyathus. Longicyathus. I'm always kind of going back and forth. Acropora longicyathus. A classic purple monster is very much Christmas tree shaped. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a, just a single branch pointing up, it's very much like a, 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 a robust bottle brush. Right. Uh, very much triangular shaped. Right. Um, but all around it, there was brown purple monsters right. with white polyps, right. green purple monsters with blue polyps, right. blue purple monster, or blue I mean, monsters current, with green polyps. The current theory is that the um, the blue ogre that we're selling out of UC, the, the blue ogre, you know, trade name coral is a longest iapis of that bottle brush form. Yeah. Of that, of that uh, what do you call that? Like uh, regional type or, or ecotype for that, for that yeah, area. Yeah, you know, any, anyone who's really collected corals in the area, you know you'll find one species and then you'll find a lot of that variability. Right. All right, so I think we have a little bit more time left to talk about wild collection, you know, uh, localized impact, and then the eventual goal of, of doing a lot more coral farming. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about wild collection. Sure. I know there's a lot of, you know, well-meaning people who don't understand that this is the only sustainable resource. Right. Right? A lot of these communities, they don't have a factory. 
They don't have a forest. They don't have jobs. They don't have tourism. They have to use subsistence uh, harvesting of whatever they have in their local area. Right. You know, so they might, you know, har you know obviously they're going to fish for, for food. Mm -hmm. They're going to farm a little bit of pineapple mm -hmm. and some other local mm -hmm. delicacies. Um, they might farm a little, you know, harvest a little dolphin or sea turtle once in a while. Fortunately, that is a thing. Yeah. But it's it's yeah. done in such a small scale that it's 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 not like factory ships. Right. And this is even truer when it comes to wild coral harvest. Right. We started this conversation talking about this one particular uh, island you can't even get to without crunching so right. many feet of of SPS stony corals. Right. And I I mean the the best way I can put it to best way I can put it to you is like. These are people that live in a village and they, they live on what they can grow, what they can farm, and, and what they can sell at their local market. It doesn't generate much cash. It's mostly for trade and barter. It gets them, you know, I have extra potato or taro or yam, and then they'll get some fish that a fisherman grew. But they have to put their kids through school, and this country doesn't provide free education for children. So they're making those, those horrible choices of like, oh, you know, do I put all of my kids through school or just a couple of my kids, you know? Like, <laughs> put the bright ones in school, put the yeah. other ones in the field. And so when we can go to a village and, and provide them a renewable resource that I will give them hard currency for, all of a sudden it's like, oh, we can put our kids through school. We can buy uniforms. We, we, have, we have like, we have a tradable product. The country as a whole, they've got logging. Mm -hmm. They've got rainforest logging, old growth rainforest logging, which has a, you know, Pre-pandemic, so we're talking 18 months ago, it had a 15-year sunset on that being a viable industry. There's not That's, that much land. 60% of the country's economy is going to sunset in 15 years. After that, you have tuna fisheries, and like that's a really sad future there too. So, and none of those are really sustainable products because they're being overdone. So instead, I can go in there and say, "Hey, I will give you hard currency for coral," and I'm not telling them to clear cut like with logging or to to purseen like they are with, with, with yeah. tuna. I'm saying, I want that, skip 100 corals, I want that, skip, you know. So it's, it's really important for people to understand, like we discussed, corals in the right environment, in the ocean, is like grass. You would not tell a person in a developed country not to step on the grass in a park. You would sound crazy. Yeah, you would, you would literally sound crazy, and this is kind of how it is in Solomon Islands, like they have not had coastal development. They built their homes out of coral. They built their homes out of, you know, boulder parietes, and there's plenty more where those came from. Um, I don't know what I was gonna do with that. <laughs> well, just just to put the to put the the concept of like wild harvest. I'm not going in there with a hundred divers and, and carving a line through a reef. We're going in and selecting the best of the best corals that we can find, collecting those, which then in turn, like again, like the, the gorgeous coral that Calicut picked up, that, that, that's a farmed coral for, for in perpetuity. That's, that's not a coral that is just a one-off. Yeah. That's going so to be in trade. You and I have dove a lot of different places around the world, and I have never seen a reef overpicked, overharvested for right. the ornamental trade. Right. I've seen plenty of degraded reefs dynamite from blasting. dynamite blasting, from coastal development, shipwrecks, supposedly for tourism, uh, from runoff, from logging upstream. Right. And those degrade the entire habitat. The aquarium hobby for ornamentals is picking out 1% of 1%. Oh yeah. 1% for the size, another 1% for the coral. You're talking about a fraction of a fraction. And we've collected from large colonies of millipora. We don't take the whole thing, right? right? We take a piece of slice right. and we know where it is right. and I we'll go back, back to it. and get more later. Right, so that's kind of like in situ farming. Um, so it's really important for, for casual listeners to understand that you're talking people going by hand, eyeballing the corals, and we want small pieces and that are gonna fit into a bag. And if they're anything bigger than a few inches across, they're too big, they're too big to ship, right? And so we're literally, it's the opposite of hunting, it's the opposite of trophy hunting, leaving all the breeders. Right. If there's a pink colony this big, leave it. Right. Totally leave I, it. I feel it has to be said that, you know, with my three divers, my artisanal collection of three divers, I've got 53 farmers out there actively planting corals, and they've been planting corals since before the pandemic. Yeah. Like the amount of volume of coral that we've put into the water, which you documented when you were there, God, like three years ago now? Yeah, 2019, maybe two, still two, can't lose two years. <laughs> now what a long we, two years has been. description. <laughs> 
we've, I've got 53 farmers out there planting coral. So the volume of coral that we're putting in, into the water, by an order of magnitude, uh, two or three orders, puts off, yeah, puts, puts off the, the individual pieces that I'm, that I'm pulling for, for collection that gets farmed in the United States anyways. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Solomon Islands was the first place to really like pioneer coral farming. And so what's interesting is you're not going into an area and explaining to people, hey, do you want to become a coral farmer? Right. They've known about this for 20 years. Longer than I've been in the industry. Right. You, right. you come to them and say, would you like to farm corals? They're like, yes, help me get started. Right. They don't even need a primer. Give me the rebar, give me the concrete, and give me the fishing line. Fishing line, rebar, yeah. cement, yeah. pick out a few of the colonies, yep. and they know what to do. Yeah. And so we, we both went to Morale Sound mm -hmm. and we met with the village mm -hmm. and we had a kind of a refresher workshop for a lot of people who hadn't participated yet yeah. and just kind of got the ball rolling. And then in the future, we're gonna grab some of the most prolific uh, of those coral farmers and we'll take them, bring them with us mm -hmm. to go to other villages and train more. And, and, train more. Yep. and then and on and on. So it's yep. gonna be like a snowball yep. effect. And the biggest, their, their biggest barrier to entry on on kickstarting that that again was just to make sure that i would continue to buy their coral yeah that it wasn't a wasted effort on their part yeah i mean they know what they're doing they're really really ingenious like inventive and 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 just just hard-working people the artisanal coral farming method of the solomon islands i feel is like the least resource inten intensive yep. and the most effective method of coral farming it's is incredibly just astounding how they figured out how to farm corals um but also like you've heard of sh tensioning the fishing line to yep. hold it all in place there's no epoxy there's no glue there's no there's no curing chemicals put into the water yep it's monofilament line just readily available materials um but you know i feel like you know there's this this, this idea of short supply chain in the aquarium greater aquarium industry mm. And um, to be honest, I feel like it's been a lot of lip service. Yeah. I don't feel like it's been documented. I don't think it's been really verified and proved. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to Solomon corals and sustainability, it's the shortest supply chain, right? right? Tim gets coral from farmer A, right. brings it, you know, gets it to unique corals and then it's sold to whoever. To, to the customer that demands that product. Yeah, and so there's like this direct, very short pipeline the, of, of income and money that goes straight to the communities that live on the coral reefs. The, the term I've, I'm, I'm starting to wrap my, my head around is the, the supermarket model mm -hmm. of just just collect corals, just collect colorful corals, whether people want them or not, just collect corals, just, just, just fill 100 boxes of coral and send it to the States. And then when it lands in the States, they'll decide whether it's marketable or not. And if it's not marketable, it goes to waste or it, or it dies or it gets sit, it sits in the brown $5 bin that no one will ever buy. And it's, it's, it's the saddest thing ever. And what, what we're trying to do is target only the corals that people want, only the corals that people are asking for and not collecting things that people aren't specifically requesting. So there's no dross, there's no filler, there's no box fillers. We're going out and collecting the corals that people will actually buy so that these corals have an end destination in mind when they're taken off the reef or taken from the farm. Yeah, very cool. I mean, this is, um, I'm really glad you were able to come visit and, and, and talk about this. Shoe fly, shoe, <laughs> shoe fly, shoe. Um, but yeah, this is like one of the very rare opportunities for modern aquarists to get in touch with where the corals come from, right? right? So I'm literally not plugging reef builders, but if you want to hear the stories, there's gonna be a hundred articles on yep. reef builders. Just type in Solomon Island corals. Um, and then right now you're getting like weekly shipments. Yep. Uh, unique Corals, yep. Solomon Islands, is shipping to uniquecorals.com. Mm -hmm. Just do a little search for Solomon mm -hmm. Island Corals. I think it's kind of, you know, the, the spotlight right now is on the Millies, right? Because right. they have so much potential. They're right. so fun and they're, they're so farmable. Um, they're, they're just bright. They jump at you from, from across the room. You're looking at the brightest corals. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, proud of, I'm proud of the corals we're being we're able to collect right now. Very cool. So yeah. what is, um, what's next for like the immediate future of Unique Coral Solomon Islands? Oof. Um, as far as, I want to start to focus on bringing the farm coral in more. 
um, and then getting in and evaluating what they're able to grow and just dial it in. Now this is a, this is a um, essentially it was a thrust that we made pre-pandemic and the pandemic, you know, threw a wrench into everyone's, everyone's everything. Everyone's everything. <laughs> um, citizens of the Solomon Islands aren't allowed to get back into the country. And so me as an American citizen, you know, I'm trying to remotely run this, but I, I, I have farmers set up to grow coral and I need to get there, look at what they're growing, refine, edit it down to like the best, again, the best of the best of the best. So we're farming knockout corals constantly and then get those in, in volume. So where we were trying to, where we're trying to be as artisanal as possible with the wild corals and only take out what exactly we need, I want to move volumes of these farm corals so that the farmers are seeing returns on their on their effort. That's, that's what's, what what's really interesting is like there's there, there's certain uh, um, little zones, you know, like a sound or a bay right. where it's just like calm, shallow, flat sand, and they could put up table after table after table right. after table, and you just cause, and they literally have a coral factory right in front of their village. <laughs> no boat required, right. no tools required. Right. Just go out and observe, you know, tighten up the corals if you need to. Mm -hmm. um, you scrub off a little bit of algae here Tooth and there. Yeah. And these people, they don't have to leave their village. They don't even have to commute. So they can do all the things they, they, they'd it's always a, done. It's a day of work a week for them. It's, yeah. a, it's a high return product. I mean, they're, they're, there's, the work allows them, gives them financial opportunities they never had before. Mm -hmm. But it's a day of work a week. This isn't a 40 hour a week job for them, which I, th I see this fantastic opportunity yeah very cool well i'm really glad we're able to shine a spotlight on the corals of the solomon islands it's just such a special special place for a lot of people and if you don't know i mean solomon islands man they were it was instrumental in kicking off the ornamental coral aquarium hobby as we know it, mm -hmm. right? So and it's just really nice that you know, you're not a giant company, you're not a huge corporation. You are a targeted, you know, hands-on, really, you know, uh, just kind of clued in to connected mm -hmm. with the local communities and, and you could, you'll really be able to document the the actual you know the tangible mm -hmm. sustainability that is happening on the ground so I'm really glad you're able to uh, sit down and and have this conversation with me well thank you um, make sure to go to uniquecorals.com and check out some Solomon Island corals. Make sure to go to reefbuilders.com, do a search for Solomon Island corals. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think this is uh, gonna be a great compliment to the Indonesian and Australian corals that we get today. And uh, man, I, I know you and me both cannot wait to go back out there and go exploring and find yeah. a bunch of very fun corals for you guys. So. Absolutely. You have any, uh, any other parting words, any ideas that you uh, still have on the table? Oh, I mean, get ready for Solomon farmed clams. Get ready for all sorts of new, new, new Solomon products. That you know, it's it's my toes in the water, effectively in this country. Like like the farm corals is the beginning of what we're doing. Wild wow. percula clowns, leucocranus. We, we, we didn't even talk about fish, right? But right. like true wild perculas, wild true percula clownfish, blow your mind. Right. Wild uh, white cap clownfish. Yep. Um, yep, that's, it's, this, this is one of those places that they occur in pretty decent numbers. Mm -hmm. Still very rare, but you can you know you can find them there. Mm -hmm. And tons of just baby blue hippo mm -hmm. tangs when the I season's mean, this right. Was, this was the source of your Picasso clowns. Your, yep. your, your, your genetic strains that are now have been worked into your snowball, blizzard, you know, all, all this. Those came from Picasso clowns from the Solomons. Very so cool. getting back to that, you know, wild genetics. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for sitting down with me, Tim. Yeah. Um, definitely, you know, be on the lookout for Solomon Island corals. I don't think there's ever been like a better story and uh, a shorter supply chain right. from the uh, end user, the consumer to the source. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a few more of these sit downs in the future to talk about Solomon corals. So be big. Um, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube and you just want to listen, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. If you're listening to this as a podcast, I I've added a lot of B-roll on the YouTube version of this session of Retherapy. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and rate us on your favorite podcatcher. Um, we're always trying to bring some of the uh, most interesting and original uh, topics to this uh, outlet. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Bye. Bye.